Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless you tonight, Father. We lift our hands up to you as an act of honor, respect. Just to declare your goodness, Lord God. We're so grateful, Father. And Lord, I thank you that tonight we're already experiencing your goodness. We're already experiencing your grace. We're already experiencing, Father God, your healing touch. We're already experiencing, Father God, your presence right now. We're already experiencing God, all of your goodness right now. We're already experiencing God. You're breaking chains. You're breaking chains. You're breaking chains. You're breaking chains. You're piercing darkness off of people's lives, Father. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. We are so grateful tonight, God, to be able to come together and just to share with our brothers and sisters, Father, your goodness, your presence, your majesty, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we just are so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit here tonight. Lord, not only are we grateful for the presence of your Spirit within us, Father, but we are grateful for the manifested presence, God. The corporate presence, God, of your Holy Spirit here tonight with us. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for those who came here tonight weighed down. Father, I pray for those who came here tonight feeling, feeling oppressed under great pressure in their minds, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit just going forth right now right now to whoever that is that individual those individuals right now that came here tonight so i'm going here tonight i am trusting that god is going to touch my life tonight in the name of jesus receive that thank you father thank you lord as we continue tonight as we get into the word father god that the teacher the holy spirit of god the one who teaches us the one who leads us and guides us into all truth, the, the very one that Jesus introduced and said, this is the one that will take from me and give to you. Holy Spirit, have your way here tonight. Minister to each and every one of us according to the place of our need. Thank you for insight into your word. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God that's released here tonight through the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead, be seated. Praise God. Thank you to those of you that came out tonight who normally come to the 11 o'clock service tomorrow. Thank you for being here tonight. Last week on the 11 o'clock, well, the past month or so, the 11 o'clock services have been mobbed. 9 o'clock, pretty much packed. And so we made a plea last week. Please, if you can come on Saturday night, come. Thank you for those who did that. Amen. We made some room for the people. Last week, we had 40 people in the overflow area outside. Couldn't get in the room. So, you see the title up there? This is an important teaching tonight. I really do pray that um, you'll take some notes tonight. I really do pray that you'll, you'll remember this message tonight because I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's just me or what. It just seems like in these past few years, 
and it's not getting any better. It seems like it's getting worse. People are so easily offended. You just want to go, shut up, bam. In love, in love. But you know, it's one thing when the world outside of us, I'm talking about the non-church world, the, the, the world that has not yet experienced the goodness of, of God and the relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing when, when the world acts that way, but when church acts that way, come on, what is up here? And what, what I want to bring to you tonight is, is something that really was, see, I thought I was starting a different message as of this weekend. But last week while I was preaching, when we got to a specific scripture, we're going to go to it, all of a sudden something popped out and I went, oh, wait a minute, the Holy Ghost is, is, is pointing to this thing. The Holy Spirit, you ever had that when you're reading the Word and you could read the scripture over and over and over again, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost, like, it lights up on the page? Well, I was looking at that screen when I was teaching last week, and all of a sudden I went, oh, my God. I see what this is saying now more clear than ever. Um, let's get over there, okay? Um, look, over these past few weeks, actually from the beginning of the year, we've been talking about, and we've been studying, and we've been learning about the fact that the Holy Ghost... Right now, the message, if you want to say, well, what's the Holy Ghost speaking right now? The Holy Spirit is speaking this. Start living right for God. Start getting the junk out of our lives. The message is a message of repentance. Turn away from the things that are ungodly and turn closer to the things that, that manifest the nature and the character of God. And it's a season of preparation. And that preparation, we're preparing. The church world is preparing. At least the Spirit of God wants the church world to prepare for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Pastor, uh, if I'm born again, I'm ready for the second coming. Yeah, you are. But what about the rest of the people around you that are not? Think about it. You are. So yeah, if you're born again, yeah, you're going. I'll never forget many years ago now, the church is 25 years old. So this was about two or three years after we started the church. I said to my wife, I have this urgency in my heart, in my spirit, to go out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. That time, Brother Kenneth Hagin was still, was, still, was still on the earth, and he would do these ministers' conferences. And I said, I need to go out there. I need an answer to a question that's been bothering me for the last couple of years. And here's, here was his question. Does everyone who's born again automatically go in the rapture? Do you understand what I'm saying with the rapture? The second coming of Jesus Christ occurs in two stages. The very first stage is when he appears in the sky and he takes with him off this planet. Don't look at me like that. It's in the Bible. <laughs> and he takes from the earth every born-again believer off this planet. And that initiates seven years of the worst hell on earth that this planet has ever seen. At the end of that seven years, he returns physically to the earth. In his appearing, he does not touch the earth. He appears in the sky. At the second coming, he will put his feet back on the Mount of Olives, just like it says in Acts chapter 1. From that place that he left, he will, he will return. Okay? So, so you, I, I said, I had this question in me. I don't know what I was entertaining. Is it true that every person that's born again goes in the rapture. We go, we travel all the way out there. We go there the very first night of the conference. 
Brother Kenneth Hagin comes to the stage and says, there's some of you that are asking that question on the inside. Does everyone go in the rapture? And I went, oh my God. <laughs> Who told him? He said, the scriptures tell us, the word of God says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. I turned around and said to him, I can go home right now. <laughs> We're in the season of preparation. Now, whether it happens this year or it happens, whenever it happens, we are, the, the whole reason you and I are still here on this planet, we're already born again. Our spirit is sealed. We're going. We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. But what about the people around us? Well, pastor, what has it got to do with it? No, here's what it got to do. We're constantly told in the New Testament to live a specific way. Why? Because we have people watching us. You hear this phrase over and over again in the New Testament. The, 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 the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. There's some of us, some of, not, not all of it, but there's some of us that we're living our lives in such a way that it does not draw people to Christ. Let's just be honest with each other. That's a major stumbling block. And so the spirit of God right now, the message of this year, the emphasis from this, we keep saying it's a series. No, it's not a series. It's a lifestyle that got introduced this year. The Holy Spirit is saying, get the junk out of your life. Get the sin out of your life. Learn from the scriptures how to resist sin. Learn from the scriptures how the devil tempts you to get yourself involved in sin. Like we talked about last week, the enemy cannot touch you at will. Amen. He has to lure you out from underneath the covering of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you lost your salvation. It doesn't mean that you lost your fellowship and, and, and relationship with God. But we can step out. If you're out in the rain and you got an umbrella and you choose to get out from under the umbrella, don't complain that you're getting wet. <laughs> you stepped out from the umbrella. Yeah. Yes. Are you listening? Yes. Okay? So... Last week, we started talking about the devices and the trickery of the enemy to lure us out, to get us to step out from that, to step out of the position that God has assigned to us, that God has placed us in, because you didn't get your salvation because you were such a good person or you got your act together or, you know, Pastor, I, you know, I, I stopped doing this and stopped. No, it had nothing to do with anything. You placed your faith in Jesus Christ. When you did that and you declared him to be your Savior, he took you out of the garbage dump that your life was and put you in a position that he calls righteousness. Amen. You better thank God that's the way he chose to do it because there'd be no other way for us to get in there. But you're still in a flesh body. You still have a soul that's not regenerated. And so every once in a while, the enemy uses things in our lives to lure us out. Tricks of the enemy. Paul calls them devices of the enemy. So we're going to talk about one of them tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, I'm picking right up in this, but I'm going to give you the context in just a few minutes. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. This is, we call it 2 Corinthians. I don't have time to go in this, but it's really not 2 Corinthians. There's four letters that he wrote. 
The first one we don't have, the second one we have. The third one we don't have, the fourth one we have. So for all practical purposes, it's the second, it's second Corinthians. That's what's in our scriptures, okay? Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. So obviously, there's forgiveness involved here. And we're going to see as we get into context. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one. So this is about somebody. It's about one person. For your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11. Lest, he says, now we got to do verse 10 so that in verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us. So that means it is possible for Satan to take advantage of us either in our ignorance or under deception. Yes or no? Yes. Lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his. Oh, you, got, you see how you went down on that? You, you don't like that. For we are not ignorant of the enemy's what? Devices. So obviously he's got a strategy. Obviously he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Obviously they've worked before, and so he tries to use the same ones over and over again. Are you seeing this? Now, uh, we're talking about forgiveness now. He's being specific here in this context. He's referring to an incident that took place. Let me, get, let me get you to that place. Okay, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We've got to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to find out what is he talking about in this portion of Scripture. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He's writing this letter to the church of Corinth. Now, uh, somebody posted on Facebook. I don't know who it was, and a bunch of people shared it. They said, if Paul was alive today and came to the churches, we'd be getting a letter. Because most of his letters are written to churches for instruction and correction, especially 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, especially 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. There's a lot of stuff to correct. And every one of his letters, because they're instructions to the church. Who's the church? So he writes to Corinth. Obviously, if this is what we call the first letter, obviously he found out about a situation that was going on in the church of Corinth that was so ridiculously unbelievable, he had to write a letter to them. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Man, that's rough, because we're talking about a world culture at that time that was steeped in sexual immorality and paganism and idol worship, and all of the idol worship had some kind of sexual component to it, okay? He's saying, there's stuff going on in your church, that even unbelievers and ungodly people wouldn't even get involved in. That's serious. Turn to somebody and say, that's serious. Look, look at what the problem is. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Some guy in the church of Corinth, this is a believer. This letter is written to believers. About, and this is a situation with believers. He said that there's reported among you in the church. Oh, that would never happen. A man is sleeping with his stepmother. Keep going. And you are proud. Oh, that would never happen today. Are you kidding me? People rising up in churches and defending the right to sin and defending, well, this is this and this is that. No, you can't judge. He said, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? And have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this. Now, listen, if you've only been... uh, 
nursed on the gospel of love, 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 love. No matter what happens, God still loves you. This is going to be a tough message for you. If you've been raised on uh, Christianity, it's always, it's always forgiving, and we have to accept everybody and tolerate everyone and do this and do that. And, Honey, you better hold on to your seats because this is scripture. And you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have get into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? And we say we're word people. And we say, I believe the Bible from the front, from the front cover to the back cover. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, we can't judge any. We're not supposed to judge anybody. Well, somebody better tell Paul. Because you think that Paul slipped out of the anointing when he put this part in his letter? No, this is still the anointed word of God. And he said, I have passed judgment on this person. I've already passed judgment in the name of... He didn't even say I did it in the flesh. I'm in the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm the one who has been doing this. So this is a progressive. This isn't on a one-night stand. This isn't something where we were drunk and this is what... No, this has been going on. Go ahead. So when you are assembled together... Excuse me, I added that part. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, in other words, when the corporate anointing of the Holy Spirit is present, look what he says to do. Come on. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit will be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, what's he saying here? Are you going to tolerate this kind of conduct in your church? That's what he's saying. I'm not asking you. We don't even want to go there. <laughs> he's saying to them, are you going to continue to tolerate and justify and celebrate this sin? He says, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, flesh so that his spirit would be saved on the day of the Lord. In other words... Send this guy to heaven as soon as possible because everybody in Corinth knows what's going on in your church, that you claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Turn to somebody and say, it's going to get tough. You claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but you tolerate this kind of sin in your midst. Get him out of here just as soon as possible. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit would still be saved because when we're born again, what part of us got affected? Spirit. Our spirit. I know some of you sitting here going, oh, I don't like where this is going. I don't like this. I don't want to. I don't want to. So we could say it this way. So the name of God in the region of Corinth in Greece was being blasphemed because of the conduct of this one man. And sometimes you got to confront people in their sin. Oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you something. I thank God for the people that were putting assignment in my life in the past that came to me to confront me. I'll guarantee you David thanks God that Nathan came and confronted him in his sin 
when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. Serious stuff. So, now let's go back to 2 Corinthians. Later, uh, later in, in this letter, go, if I, I charge you in the name of Jesus to go read this 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and find out the rest of the story. Okay, Paul, if he was here today and came to preach in most of the churches, especially here in the United States, those churches would lose 90% of their people. Because later on in the same letter, he says to Christians, don't even eat at the same table with a person who's living like that. Today, oh, we, just, we, have to, we have to hate the sin, but we have to love the sinner. Do you realize that this stuff is contagious? Do you realize that God's calling us? We better, we better do a major inventory on our relationships. Well, aren't we supposed to reach them? Reach them. Absolutely reach them. Love them. Pray for them. But do not copy their ways. So, by the time Paul writes the next letter, where we're going, 2 Corinthians, the man repents cuts off that conduct and relationship. And Paul says, if you don't forgive him, Satan's going to use it as a trap in your life. Unforgiveness is a device. Say device. device. The devil uses to ensnare Christians. It doesn't say that you're holding unforgiveness to somebody and it wasn't true what they did. No matter what, we cannot hold unforgiveness against anyone. Against anyone. Because it's a snare from the enemy. The devil is constantly looking and seeking whom he may devour. He cannot just devour you. He needs a legal way to encroach on your life. And Paul is teaching us that unforgiveness it gives the, the devil a legal right to have access into our lives. Doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation. What it means is you open the door to experience hell here on earth. Amen. Last week I gave a definition from Bible scholar Rick Renner about what he says about the word devices. It describes a mind that is scheming, calculated, conniving, devious, shrewd, sly, or clever. This is significant because it alerts us to the reality that Satan isn't just hoping to hinder us. He is incessantly scheming, conniving to injure or deliberately mess up a person's plans, health, marriage, business, and family. He knows that if he can access a person's mind and emotions, he will very likely be able to ensnare them individually in a trap. Amen. So now, now, let me present this to you, and let's just... Think about it for a split second, and then let's not dwell on this, because it doesn't do any good for us. But I want to make an illustrative point here. Think about some of the worst things that people have done to you in your life. How they betrayed your trust, cheated on you, stole from you, slandered you, possibly physical, verbal, or sexual abuse, 
And what was your reaction? If you're, if you're a normal human being, you were offended. You were hurt. You were wounded. It left a mark in your soul. That's natural. But if you don't recognize that the enemy will use the things that are natural in us against us, you will fall into a trap. Amen. Now, it is not a sin to be offended. It's a, it's a natural reaction. But if not forgiven, offenses will lead you to unforgiveness and grudge holding. And according to the word of God, unforgiveness and holding on to offenses are devices the enemy uses to bring destruction into our lives. How many people want to be devoured and destroyed by the enemy? Let me see your hand. Now, Jesus speaks of this and literally gives us the pattern to look out for in our lives in a very matter-of-fact way. In fact, he wasn't even teaching about forgiveness. He wasn't even teaching about offenses. He was teaching about the end times. In Matthew chapter 24, 25, 26, Jesus is teaching the disciples about the last days. And he starts off talking about deception. And the next thing he tells us is to watch out for offenses. Watch this. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Don't even want to go into the whole thing. You could read it for yourself. He's telling them these are the things that are going to happen in the last days. And then many will be, come on, say it loud. You didn't say it loud enough. Say it loud. And many will be offended, comma, will betray one another, comma, and will hate one another. Church, that's exactly what happens in our lives. It is the mechanics that leads us into unforgiveness. If you're talking, any relationship you have, marriage relationship, friendship, business partnership, church relationship, family members. At some point in time, there's going to be a strain on the relationship. Because we're all human, somebody's going to do something stupid, and it's going to offend the other person. Now, what does the offended individual do? If they're not, if they're not alert if they don't understand this, what the Bible teaches us, then here's what happens almost every single time. person gets offended. They stew in that offense. It doesn't happen that day, but they stew in that offense. And what's the very next thing that happens? They betray the person that offended them. No matter how close they've been, they betray them. They'll get on the phone. Today, they'll send a text, they'll send a private Facebook message, and detail, this is what this person did to me. Could be husband and wife. It could be children with parents. It could be individuals that were very close at one time. People that share a bed together. When if an offense is not immediately let go, that person, no matter how intimate they've been with the other individual, no matter how many years they've spent together, no matter that they've raised a family together, that person who's offended will always betray the offender. Then, if it gets to the step of betrayal, and that keeps going and going, what's the next step that takes place? They hate one another. You don't believe me? 
Monday morning, go to Ocean County Court and go sit in a divorce court. No, we laugh, but it's not funny. It's sad. It could bring you to tears that two people that pledged their lives together in front of God now all of a sudden they hate each other so much and reveal the deepest, most intimate secrets that they shared in front of a whole courtroom full of people. And that, my friends, should not take place. Offense always leads to betrayal. Betrayal always leads to hatred. And we see it over and over again. And once the offense is taken and held on to, it's a very serious matter. The enemy now at that point has succeeded, and division comes and destroys everyone involved. And look at this. Listen to me closely. I've seen it happen. I've been live long enough for this. Reconciliation almost becomes impossible. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. I would venture to say, and I'd probably be very accurate, that almost every one of us that's in here, anybody that's watching this or listening to this, can think of a relationship that at one point was so precious and so just wonderful and fulfilling, and, and then something happens, and it's never, ever the same again. And it's like no matter what you do, it could never get back to where it was. Because that offense, once it's held on to, like the writer of this proverb says, is harder to win than a strong city. He's saying you have more success attacking a city with gigantic walls and all kinds of armaments and all kinds of defense. You'd be more successful with that than trying to get that brother or sister or husband or wife or parent or sibling reconciled. It's almost impossible. And in the world that we live in today, you and I cannot afford to let the, the, the mindset of our culture that gets offended of every stupid little thing. Yeah. And once, what happens? They get offended, what's the next thing? They attack. They attack. Slander people all over social media. Yep. That should not be in the church. And Jesus said, look, offenses are going to come. If you live long enough, if you're probably alive more than a week, <laughs> offenses are going to come. As a baby sitting in there, I'm hungry. Why isn't she coming with the bottle? I'm dirty. Why, is it, why, are, why aren't they changing my diaper? Okay, I'm making light of it. You understand what I'm saying? But this goes back, way back. In every one of our lives, offenses are going to come. Why? Because everybody is human and everyone has flaws. Amen. Well, I'm born again. I'm perfected in Christ. You have a flesh. You have a soul that hasn't been fumigated 100%. <laughs> Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus talking to his disciples said, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. The Amplified Version uses the term stumbling blocks for offense. Jesus said to his disciples, stumbling blocks, temptations, and traps set to lure one to sin are sure to come. But woe, judgment is coming to him through whom they come. 
Well, Pastor, am I supposed to just let people get away with stuff? Am I supposed to just let people treat me anyway? No, no, no. Just stay out of the way. Amen. You think God doesn't know what they did to you? You think God doesn't know the pain that was inflicted upon you? You think God doesn't know the words that were said, the actions that were taken, that branded you in your soul? You don't think he knows that? But Jesus said, woe, judgment upon those from whom it comes. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. And God will take care of it right. In other words, the thing will get dealt with, and the person will have the opportunity to repent. It's not that, you know, well, Jesus is going to go around and exterminate all my enemies. No, because somebody might be praying that way for you. <laughs> you know, I don't care who you are. We're not only the offended, we are also the offendors. And that's why he said, pray for those who use you. Pray for those. Pray for your enemies. Because you're somebody's enemy. You get anything out of this? So, it says, stumbling blocks, temptations, traps set to lure one to sin are sure to come. But woe, judgment is coming to him through whom they come. It's a lure to trap someone. And it certainly turned out that way for Judas. You remember Judas? John chapter 12, verse 3. We got, we got to move a little quicker here now. All right? You with me? Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, some type of anointment, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. She was so impacted by his presence, so impacted by his heart of love and compassion and forgiveness that the only way she could think of showing it was she took that, listen, that oil of spikenard, cost a year's worth of salary. That's how precious he was to her. This, most people back then, they would save up, buy this, and it would be put aside for their funeral, for their, for their burial. Like, you know, some of the old timers used to have, well, they tell you, hey, listen, in the closet, there's my suit, that's what I want you to bury me in, as that dress would. That was the custom then. She took the thing that was worth a year's worth of wages, and why do we know this value? Because when we see how Judas reacted, we know this wasn't any, uh, what was that, uh, Gina Tay stuff years ago that everybody used to? This wasn't a 99-cent bottle, gallon bottle in Walmart of cologne, okay? Man, I really dated myself that time. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Whoa, this is awesome. Everybody was impacted there. Watch what happens. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, we should have had somebody on the video. <laughs> one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, remember, this is written after the fact, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? So he's telling us how much it's worth. And give it to the poor. Which sounds pretty good, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like waste. You know, sometimes we'll go out to dinner, and they'll bring the check. It's like 75 bucks for the two of us. I mean, we should have went home and made a, a dish of pasta with butter on it and <laughs> saved the 75 bucks and give it to somebody who really needs it, and we would have got more pleasure out of it. 
All right? So we understand, we understand that when it's pure-hearted, but watch this. Then he said, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. In other words, this is the guy who's in charge of the finances for Jesus' ministry. And he used to take whatever he wanted. Okay, so that's the real motive. Jesus knows that. Next verse. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. In other words, this is symbolic of the embalming process that he would go, undergo, after they took him off the cross, right? Next verse. Is there another verse? No, that's it. So watch this now. Judas, now, mind you, this is just about a week before the crucifixion. Week and a half, okay? Judas got offended because Jesus confronted him in front of all the disciples and Mary's household. Because only a few days later, he plots with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. First comes offense, and then comes what? Betrayal. Betrayal. You see the pattern? He got offended. He got embarrassed because Jesus nailed him. Jesus, Jesus hit him right between the eyes. You're not worried about the poor. Don't diminish what this woman has done because now you couldn't get a hold of the 300 denarii. And he got offended. And what's the next thing he does? He goes to the religious leaders. How much will you give me for this guy? I'll sell him out to you. Life is full of opportunities to get offended, especially in the age that we live in right now. But even though offenses come, we must forgive quickly before bitterness settles in our hearts. And unforgiveness is one of the major devices that the enemy uses to get us to reap the consequences of our action. We get offended. He looks at, he sees, he sees. He goes, okay, okay, there's one right there. Go after him. And so now you start, now all of a sudden, the thing, whatever happened, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, he'll take it and magnify it. And you start hearing the arguments in your head. Who do they think they are? (laughs) Or or better yet, do they know who I am? (laughs) They dare talk to me like this? And then you hear, yeah, remember when you did this for them? And remember when you made their car payment? And remember when you bought them groceries? And you remember how kind you were then? And you start going inside. Now you're fuming like, man, if I would have knew it would have been like that. I would have bought myself the groceries. I would have let them starve. Now, we'll never say that outside. But on the inside, yeah, we're, now, now we're fuming. Now we're fuming. Let it go as soon as possible. Understand that we live in a world where offenses are going to take place. Amen? Amen. See unforgiveness as a trap from the devil. See it like this gigantic mousetrap. And that big piece of cheese is your satisfaction of holding this against them. Do you ever have somebody in your life? You don't see them that often, but when you see them, they, they start, without saying it, let you know that they're remembering something that you did to them. My, oh, I'm the only one that's ever happened to Let it go. 
Man, uh, forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness, forgiving others bears witness to the power of God over the worst that life can deal. Amen. Pastor, you don't know what people have done to me. You don't know what my father did to me. You don't know what my mother did to me. You don't know what my, my ex did to me. You don't, yeah, I don't. But you know what? He does. Stop building monuments. We think that we have the right to build a monument of offense. I will never forget. That's Christians. That's what we do. I forgive them. Oh, but I'll never forget what they did to me. Why would you want to have that kind of monument to remind you of a hurt? Let it go. Because you've probably done the same or worse to somebody else. Would you want them building a monument with your name on it and, and the date of the incident and everything that took place? I've talked about this recently in one of the services. I don't remember remember which one. Don't you love people that tell you about stuff that went on in their life and you think it happened yesterday? Well, when did that take place? Well, when I was 15. You're 70 years old. (laughs) So, So for the past, come on, numbers guy. For the past 55 years, you have worshiped at this monument of hurt, let it go. Amen. Prove that God's power is, is more mighty Amen. than the hurt that was done to you. Otherwise, you're going to live under the shadow of that thing the rest of your life. Amen. Or worse yet, you're going you're gonna to hold somebody else in the shadow of that thing for the rest of your life. Amen. You cannot keep punishing people. It's going to turn on you. It produces bitterness in your heart. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Luke 6, 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. This is one famous Puritan preacher, so it's got to be from the 1600s, okay? We need not climb up into heaven to see whether our sins are forgiven. Let us look into our hearts and see if we can forgive others. People always say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm really saved. Well, this is an indicator. Are you able to forgive others? Just from the gratitude of what you've been forgiven, we should be able to forgive others. Well, I thought this was about offenses. It is. The only antidote for offense is forgiveness. Forgiveness, not denial. So many people want to deny the things that happened to them in their life, and then they pop up 25, 30 years later. And then you're going to go pay money, 150 bucks an hour to somebody to dig up something that happened 30 years ago. That's not, that's not even the antidote. Because now you're out the 150 bucks an hour and you're still not feeling right. Forgive. Let it go. Release the individuals. Go on with your life. Many, many years ago when I was a youth leader, well, back then we didn't use the term youth pastor, but it was the equivalent of youth pastor today. I remember doing a teaching specifically on this. And I brought, some of you have heard me tell the story before. I, I had one of the teenagers that, had, that I knew they had this big German shepherd. I said, bring me the choker chain. And so they brought it in. And I had one kid come up, put the chain around his neck. And the other person who actually owned the chain, I said, now you hold on to this. Now you think you're a big shot because you're holding this guy. He's, he, you're, you're holding him in unforgiveness. Because he hurt you. But guess what? You're on the other end of the chain. Wherever he goes, you go. Wherever you go, he goes. You're stuck with this person the rest of your life. 
let it go. Yeah, Pastor, I could tell you a few things about that person's life. I don't care. Stop it. Stop it. And what makes it worse is we as Christians, let's just say, let's be honest, we're so captivated by the society that we live in. And what do they do? They teach the exact opposite of what the Word of God says. Then we wonder why we're thinking like, talking like, and acting like, just like the world. Our spirits are saved. But let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost is saying right now, no, it's time that you got to act like the spirit that's inside you, not the flesh that you're captivated with. And some of us, some of us, the act of repentance is to let go of the people that have offended us. Forgive. You don't think our actions offend God? Well, he loves me. He loves me. He's my father. I'm his child. I don't even call him God. I call him Abba, Daddy. Yeah, and you still think you don't offend them? Let me tell you something. You love your kids? Do you love your kids? Would you ever do anything for them? Was there nothing, is there anything you wouldn't do for them? Do they offend you sometimes? Do they displease you sometimes? Do they always do, let's flip it around. Did you ever do anything to displease your parents? Let's, Let's do it that way. I got my father so mad one time. He got me so mad that I turned around, punched my fist through the wall, and then got in my car and ran. Because I'm like, as soon as my fist went through the wall, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. I'm not going to live to see 19. Just took off. Did you not displease your parents? Do they still love you? Yeah. Now, should we live our lives with the purpose of displeasing our parents? No. Should we live our lives with the purpose of displeasing God? No. See, we forget about some of the things that Paul wrote in the New Testament, especially about the Holy Spirit, because he lives in us. And he tells us, commands us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So if we have to be given instruction not to do something, that means we're capable of doing it. You listening to me? I got a lot more in here, but I think we made the point tonight. I think, I think, yeah, I think we tied it up. You want five more minutes? We'll do five more minutes? Okay, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. This is a tough one. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Well, he knew Jesus was going to go for an astronomical figure, so he's trying to, like, set the baseline, okay? Up to seven times? Because, you know, Jesus, seven times is a lot. Next verse. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Next verse, keep going. Therefore, now, now Jesus throws it out, and now Jesus is going to give him an illustration. Yep. Amen? So that Peter knows how to practically apply what Jesus just said. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, like a king, who wanted to settle, his, settle accounts with his servants. Keep going. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold even in that economy was a lot of money, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Keep going. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 10,000 bags of gold. Next verse. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, say fellow servants, who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, when the other servants saw how this debt forgiveness was handled, when the other servants looked to somebody and said, you're one of the other servants. We're watching each other how we handle this stuff. Okay? When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Keep going. Then the master called the servant, and you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. We sat up at night in the past begging God. Oh, God, I'll never do this again. If you get me out of this one, I'll never do this again. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do this again. And what does he do? He graciously forgives us, right? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father... This is Jesus talking. This isn't Pastor Joe talking. This is Jesus talking. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, God doesn't do that today. Oh, really? When you're in unforgiveness, you don't feel torment? When you're in unforgiveness, your heart doesn't get hard. When you're in unforgiveness, you don't lose sleep at night. When you're in unforgiveness, it doesn't cost you in relationships. When you're in unforgiveness, it doesn't cost you in your reputation, your witness. It costs us. When you're in unforgiveness, do you really feel fully forgiven by God? To receive pardon from the perfectly holy God and then to refuse to pardon others when we are sinful men is the epitome of abuse of his mercy.
Pastor, I don't understand. Things were going so good between me and God. And then, you know, for years, everything was going so good. I had such clarity. I felt so close to God. I feel like he was, like, giving me new opportunities to step forward and, and to use me in my life. And I just felt so close to God. And just recently, I just don't know what it is. I feel like I'm stuck. You might want to check this area. Amen. You might want to check this area. You're starting to feel cynical about things? You might want to check this area. It's possible that bitterness has entered into your heart because of offenses. Yeah, and there's many of us in this room that did not deserve to be treated the way we have been. But guess what? You probably have treated somebody else in a way that they didn't deserve to be treated. Because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us falls short, and I would say especially in this standard. Now, let's be honest and transparent with each other. It hurts when we get offended. But if you will just put it in the perspective of the power of God's forgiveness is so much stronger than the power of this offense, but it just doesn't happen automatically. You and I have to take that power of God's forgiveness and watch, apply it to that offense so it kind of like just extinguishes it. But pastor, they still haven't changed your conduct. Forgiving somebody is no guarantee they're going to change their conduct because the forgiveness is not really for them, it's for you. Amen. Forgiveness is for us. So that person or persons no longer have control over our lives in that area. But listen to me. If you don't forgive, the enemy is calling you out of your position in Christ. Doesn't mean you're going to go to hell, but it means you're going to have a tough time in this life here because as long as you stay in unforgiveness, it's like you stepped out from under your umbrella and you're prone to the attacks of the enemy. He's called you out for a reason. You are in his crosshairs. You're set up. Don't end up like Judas. He couldn't get over this offense. He couldn't get over being embarrassed in front of the rest of the staff and in front of Mary's household. And it caused him to be the betrayer that even Non-Christians know what it means when you talk about Judas. And where did it lead him? To self-destruction. Don't be that guy. Let it go. It's not worth it. You listening to me? Stand up, everybody. I think we made the point for tonight. I don't think this is going to take much for us to respond. Take one hand up. Everyone in this room, take one hand up and put it up to God. Close your eyes so you're not distracted by anybody else and say this with me. Father, Father in, the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, forgive me, forgive me for, not forgiving others. for not forgiving others. I receive your forgiveness, Father. For all of my sin. Now, Father, I release, I forgive every single person 
that's ever spoken against me, that has hurt me, that has betrayed me, that has stolen from me, that has abused me. In the name of Jesus, I release them. I pray blessing upon their lives. I pray that you would draw them close to you. Thank you, Father, that this incident, this offense is under the blood of Jesus. It's being cleansed. It's being neutralized. It no longer has any power over me. Now, Father, cause that person or persons to forgive me for anything I've ever done to offend them, to hurt them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's, a it's as simple as that. It's a decision. It's a, de it's a decision. Now, don't go back on your decision, especially because some of these individuals that we just forgave may be very close to your life still and may still act the way they were doing. They may still continue in their abusive conduct. Don't let it stir you back up again. The enemy's trying to pull you out again so that he can attack you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming out. If you need prayer for anything else, please come on up.